You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Well, my name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Um, I have a word this morning that I <clears throat> feel is important for our day and age. Um, you know, this week as I was preparing this message, I was a little uncertain we're getting ready to have a baby at any moment. Our third child could come. You can come right now, like in this moment. She's right here. She's like, um, and so as I'm preparing this message, I'm like, man, okay. I went to Pastor Alex at Sarkyle Pastor's office, and I was like, bro, there's a chance that it could, you could be the man on Sunday. So he texted me last night. He's like, the baby's not here yet, right? <laughs> It's like, that would be a cruel joke. Be like, oh, yeah, bro, he's been here for a couple days. <clears throat> it's all on you. But um, pray for us the coming weeks as we, this baby comes, everything's going well. But um, this past year, we've been kind of on a journey together as a body of believers to view this, the world in which we live in and, and God's um, community as kingdom that God established when Jesus came, one of the things that he did is reveal the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so how we walk with him, how we interact with one another, and many of the things that we do in this life, we look, through the, through, look at it through this lens of kingdom. And the ways of God's kingdom are something that are so other than what we're used to, and they're so uh, different than the ways of this world. You know what? Many of you know my testimony. When I was 20 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. I was a drug addict and an alcoholic and uh, uh, depressed. I thought about ending my life almost every day. And Jesus transformed my heart. And it was like, wow, this is amazing, a new start. And now what do I do? <laughs> these are all the things that I used to do. Now don't do those. Those are bad. Now I do these things. And I'm like, I don't have any idea what to do. And over time, the Lord has begun to slowly reveal to me what life is like as being a person in his kingdom, as a son in his kingdom. And so we're starting a new series this morning entitled Life Together in which we are going to, uh, over the next few weeks, explore this idea of relationships in God's kingdom. This morning we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to, a few weeks we'll talk about um, families and friendships. Um, But how do we view relationships through God's kingdom? And... um, It's something that is different altogether. You know, when Jesus came into this earth, he really turned all the systems that people knew, he turned them on their head, right? And a lot of people have this misconception of Jesus, that Jesus was like this kind of hippie that walked around just being like, yeah, it's cool, bro. It's fine. Just love each other. Just love each other. It's, It's all fine. But that's not Jesus. That's not the Jesus that we read about in this word. But instead, Jesus raised the standard, Jesus continually raised the standard. He said, you might think this, but this is what I say. And you can read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where he has this this continual back and forth of you say this, but I say this. And he's continually raising the bar, raising the standard of what what it's like to be a child in in his kingdom. And as it comes to relationship, he says, he raises the bar of what it is to love someone. What it is to love people. Someone approached Jesus and they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we hear that, we say, man, love 
if I love the Lord, if I love God, he'll help me love my neighbor as myself. And that's a tall order because we don't always like ourselves, right? Like, but to love someone like we love ourselves, that's a, a hard thing to do. Well, now in John chapter 13, Jesus, like, like Joe was just describing, he, he washes his disciples' feet. He shows us what it is to, to be a true servant leader. And he washes his disciples' feet, and then he goes on to say in verse 34, he says, a new command I give you today, a new command, to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. So Jesus raises this bar. He says, don't just love like you want to be loved, but love like I love. Love like I have loved you. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what I'm thinking. That's impossible. How can I love people like Jesus? Well, I want to let you off the hook a little bit this morning that it's impossible for you to do that on your own. It's impossible to do that on your own. You actually need the power. (coughs) Excuse me. You actually need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to be working in your life for you even have the ability to love people well. If you look back upon your, your, jo- your walk with God and you see that you were able to love people better to, now than before, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. That's good news. A lot of times when we think about the supernatural, we do think about you know, healing the sick or casting out demons or miracles, and obviously all that is included. But we fail to, to, to figure in this ability to love people in an impossible way. That you have the ability through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in, in the filling of the Holy Spirit to love people well. To love like Jesus loves. And we should yield ourselves to that. So Jesus raises the standard of what it is to love one another. So this morning, I want to talk to you about marriage. And I know a second ago, when I mentioned marriage, I could literally hear it in the room. Many of your brains shut off immediately. You're like, well, doesn't apply to me. <laughs> so it's fine. But I want you to know um, marriage was an institute instituted by God. By God. And it's the greatest example that we have of our relationship with God. So there's many things that, that, um, there's many things that can overlap between our relationship with the Lord and marriage. So don't tune out. And if you're not married yet, if you're a young person in this place, or you're in college or something, just take notes. And then someday, 10 years later, later from now, you'll thank me, all right? Um, but I, I want a few things I want to just do to set this message up, all right? This is what I call a worry about yourself message, all right? So I know throughout this message, there'll be certain things that you'll want to elbow your spouse in the ribs. Don't do that. My goal is to pick on everyone evenly, okay? So if you're going to elbow, you're going to get elbowed probably back at some point. But let's, let's just leave our elbows out of it, all right? And we don't have to say, that was for you. You need to listen to this, all right? This is a worry about yourself message. So uh, we, I teach my kids this, you know, don't worry about what your brother's doing. Just worry about yourself. Just worry about yourself. One time I told Evie that or we were talking about something, and she said, Dad, you should just worry about yourself. And I said... <laughs> That is not how this works. <laughs> I will worry about you. I also want you to keep this in mind. God has set order in place throughout, I mean, it's evident throughout the inner workings of the, the universe, the human body, um, just the orders, um, um, 
that we see in play just throughout regular life. And just because there are specific roles within that order does not mean that value is less or more. Does that make sense? There are separate roles and different roles, but that doesn't speak to anything having to do with value. And the truth is, is that God has given each one of us a role to play. And when we each play our own role, when we don't worry about ourselves, there's a more beautiful completion and unity of what God wants to accomplish on this world, in this world, right? When the, when the human body is working in, in, in perfect harmony with itself, man, there are incredible things that people can do. So we need to make, understand that there's another reason that God gives us specific roles is that you and I face battles that other people in our life will not know, ever know of. Your husband will face a battle that you will not know, that you, you, you don't know about, or your, your, spouse, your, your wife will, will, will face a battle that you will not know. And, and the, one of your part, one of your, the, the place that you have as a role in their life is to help, is to help, to love and encourage so there, it's important that we distinguish these roles. Another thing that we, we need to make sure that we're not, we are paying attention to, we cannot cherry-pick Scripture. Okay, we can't take Scripture out and put it in a vacuum like it exists on its own. We have to look at the whole counsel of the Word, right? And we look at God's Word, and we, and we also look at the person of Jesus and His kingdom, and we can see through the entirety of the Word that it's in perfect harmony with itself. So some of the verses that we're going to unpack this morning are seemingly difficult when, they look, when you look at them by themselves. But as we unpack them, as a whole counsel of the world, they make way, way more sense. Excuse me. You with me? I can start over if you want. I can just start. All right. So we're going to be in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Beautiful chapter in the Bible. Um, this whole book is just so rich. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks here. I want to give you a little context on marriage in the church in which Paul is writing, in the Ephesian church. So the church in Ephesus is under Roman rule. So Roman culture rules the day. And marriage in that day looked way different than it looks now way different. In those days, marriage was more of a, a done out of utility and for practical purposes of procreation, of the stabilization of society. Um, but wives were basically attained by an exchange of goods. And they had no rights. Um, they were often beaten and spoken to harshly, treated, treated as slaves. And um, could be divorced at any time for no reason. And so I want you to know when Paul is writing and, and giving this instruction on marriage, this is like a radical and revolutionary way of thinking. He is taking the ways of this world and, and turning it on his head and saying, this is no longer as believers how we live our lives. Now we walk in a different way and in, in a higher way. And so oftentimes when we read scripture, we, we view it through the lens of our own life and our own culture. And so that doesn't mean that we can just dismiss this because it's like, well, we're not under Roman rule, and that's not what marriage looks like. But in fact, the, because, the reason we have marriage the way we have it right now is because of the very words that we're going to read today. It's a beautiful picture. 
So in Ephesians chapter five, we don't have time to go through the entirety of the chapter, but he starts out in verse one and just says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. As dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. So we have this banner over this entire chapter to walk in love. Walk in love, right? And we'll jump down to verse 15 because it really does help. Sometimes we, are, we see the little headings in our, in our Bible. Well, the original text didn't have, I don't know if you knew that, doesn't have those, those breaks or those headings within there. It just is continuous. So in verse 15, he says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God of your Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He stops and he, he says, be careful. And so anytime the scripture says, be careful, you should listen to what he's saying. Be very careful. <laughs> he's giving you explicit instruction. Be very careful. So he's saying, be careful. Don't be foolish. Don't be unwise. And actually in the Greek, what, he's, what, what it's saying is actually, you're being foolish. You should stop being foolish. You are already being foolish. Don't be foolish. The days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. It goes so quick, doesn't it? So don't waste your life. Make the most of every opportunity. And don't fill your life with all the garbage of this world, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word filled there in the Greek is like a present tense and future tense. So it means be filled and be continuously filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he shows us one of the ways in which we fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, which is we gather, we sing songs with one another and to one another, do you ever be in a situation of worship where it feels like everybody's singing to you almost? Not like in a weird Jesus way, but like the, word is speak, the, the song is speaking specifically to you. It's like people are rallying around you, encouraging you in, as we worship. Your, your heart and your spirit is being filled up in that moment. It's such a beautiful thing. So we need to stop filling ourselves with the things of this world and instead be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on in verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. So I know that there's a lot of misunderstanding about these verses. Because over the past, even just year alone, uh, I've had several um, wives come to me and with various concerns and said, well, it doesn't really matter what I think. I just need to submit. And uh, I want you to know that's a very um, surface-level understanding of what he's actually talking about here. Submit does not mean obey your husband. It doesn't mean that you have no will of your own. It doesn't mean, um, doesn't mean you're a slave to your husband. Remember what he, who he's speaking to. He's speaking to people who already have a paradigm of that marriage, of what marriage is like. And so it wouldn't make sense for him to just reiterate the same things that they're already doing, but instead he's, he's seeking to deliver them from that way of thinking to a, a higher plane. So actually what the word submit is, and the Greek word is hupotasu, um, and it's a very uh, multifaceted, nuanced word. But what it means is, it means to continually arrange yourself in support of. And it's actually a military term, and it's, 
meaning like soldiers arranging themselves for battle. So continually arranging yourself in support of like soldiers arranging themselves for battle. So you can really, that could, we could really define it. It should say, it could say wives, continually arrange yourself in support of your husband like soldiers arranging themselves for battle. Means continually orient yourself. Continually help allow uh, help your husband to orient, uh, orient himself back to Jesus. Point him back to Jesus and put yourself in a battle position for your husband. Go to battle for your husband. He faces battles that you'll never know. So go to battle for him. Support him in that place. And I want you to know that he's many of the women that Paul's talking to. Um, women were coming to, the, to know Jesus in just huge numbers, but their husbands were not. And so like we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul gives explicit instruction on what do you do if your husband is not a, a, an, um, if your husband is not a believer, if he's an unbeliever. It says don't leave him, don't divorce him, but instead it says that same thing. Arrange your life in such a way that you're always pointing him back to Jesus. Arrange yourself in such a way that you're always pointing him back to Jesus. And so that through your life, he would come to know Jesus because of watching you live. Wives, I believe that there's a a mandate on your life to be a woman of integrity that continually goes to battle for your husband who goes to that quiet place of prayer and seeks the face of God for your husband to hold up his arms and love him well. And then in verse 23, it says this, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is savior. He is the savior. Now the church submits to Christ. So also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Again, Through the lens of kingdom, this makes a lot more sense. The word head there in the Greek is also a military term. So all throughout the whole book of Ephesians, he uses military language. We read about the full armor of God. We read other places about this military language. But head is also a military term that means one who leads. But it has nothing to do with your rank. It doesn't mean like general or captain. Instead, it's a leader in the sense of being the first one into battle. He leads the way into the battle. He's going to be the first one in the fire, the first one in the fight. And husbands, there is a responsibility and a mandate on your life to lead your family spiritually. You're responsible for the spiritual culture of your home. It starts with you. It starts with you. And this is when he starts to, to change, the script, or change, change the script from lordship to leadership. True leadership doesn't come from position. If you're leading people out of position, you've already lost them. If people are following you because they have to, they're not following you. But instead, leadership says, this is the way, let me show you. And this is what we see, and this is what he describes as Jesus. Jesus shows us the way, right? And everything that we do, we say, Jesus is the model of how we should live. How we should treat one another and love each other. How we should pray for one another. How we should serve one another. How we should lay down our lives for one another. But husbands, you have a mandate on your life to lead your family. So I do think it's interesting that we really camp quite a bit on verse 22 because it 
doesn't really fit in always with what we our paradigm, and so but we kind of glaze over the, the the verses in which Paul is instructing husbands to love their wives because this is such a revolutionary. If they were drinking their coffee, reading Paul's letter, they would have spit it out and be like, "What is he talking about?" Because in verse twenty five, he says, "Husbands, love your wives." Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives. This, the, the Greek word for love is agape. There's many Greek words for love, but this one, agape love is a sacrificial love. He's saying, husbands, lay down your life for your wives. And this idea would have been so foreign to these men. What? Lay down my life? In First Peter chapter 3, Verse 7, Peter says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are co-heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I don't know what to make with that last line, so your prayers may not be hindered, but I don't know that I want to mess around with that. (laughs) But he says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to to the woman. That word honor means to value something for the price that was paid for it. To value something for the price that was paid for it. You should love your wife and honor your wife so well because there's a great price paid for her life. Jesus gave the entirety of who he was for your wife. And that weaker vessel is another part in scripture that we're like, oh, I don't like that. It doesn't Really, it doesn't actually mean like lesser or, or weaker. Uh, how it's actually, the example that's given is like a, a, pres- like a priceless, delicate vase. <laughs> like some treasured item. Love your wife so well. Honor your wife in such a way that, man, she's like this, this, this beautiful treasure that you're like, man, I wanna, I'm going to protect this. I'm going to uphold this at whatever the cost. At whatever the cost. That changes things. You know, when I was first married, I didn't know anything, and I was really stupid. Um, and so, my wife and I, we would talk about things, and she's like, you can't talk to me like I'm one of your guy friends. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I just, just tell you like it is. She's like, no, you, you can't do that. And I said, and I would get so annoyed, I would be like, well, it's like, I was like, you're so delicate. And she goes, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. You should treat me like a delicate flower. That is how you should treat me. Not like uh, insecure or weak, but like this prized and treasured thing, right? Is, am I making sense? She should be highly valued because there was a great price paid for her life. Why? Why did Jesus give his life for the church? Well, in verse 26, it says to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ laid down his, his life for something greater for the church. So the, great, the church could know something greater than it knows. And husbands, I really believe that you lay down your life in a, in, a leader, in, a, in a servant leadership way so that your wife can experience a life that she would not know otherwise. 
Amen, that's a good word. Verse 28 says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul's referring back to creation. He quotes it about two becoming one, united in flesh. That means if one of us is struggling, we're both struggling. That means if one of us is celebrating, we're both celebrating. We're perfectly united under the banner of Jesus. And so husbands, you are to care, to care for your spouse. And again, even though we're called to different roles, husbands and wives, it says nothing about one being of less of value as the others. The value is still the same. And that's what we see throughout Scripture. If you want to see equality or injustices um, relieved in this world, we don't need to just, you need, well, first you need to spend less time on the Internet. Two, you need to align yourself under the, under the, the, uh, under the lordship of Jesus in your life. If we look at, the, like I said a few weeks ago, when, when, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, it's just, the Holy Spirit comes and just levels the playing field. It doesn't tear one down so that they're equal, but it raises both up. It says, no, this is for anybody. This is for all. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. If you're young or old, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people. So the value is the same, even though we have different roles and a different place in it. So let me ask you this question, because this helped me kind of understand it. If you look at the human body, what is more important, the brain or the heart? Yeah, you, really, you, can't, have, you can't have one without the other, right? They have, but they, completely, they have completely different functions, and they're completely different. But they complement each other perfectly, and you can't have one without the other. Then he goes on and, and he takes like a little pit stop of reflection. And I love it when Paul does this every once in a while. In verse 32, he says, but this is a profound mystery. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. He just has this moment of reflection. I, I imagine he's reflecting on his own journey of being a murderous man and just a religious zealot to a man who would give his life for this gospel. It's quite a, quite a mystery and he talks a lot about this mystery. But in verse 33, he says, However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. Man, when we all work together in perfect unison, there's just a beautiful fruit of it. So I have some challenges for us this morning, for husbands and wives, that I want to encourage you in these last few minutes. But a worship team, you guys can come back. really prayed a lot about these this week, and I want to encourage them with you. Husbands, I'll go, go first with you. These are my charges to you. First, cherish your wife. Cherish your wife. She's a gift to you. I want to dispel this idea that 
they're like soulmates out there. There's no, nowhere in this word does it talk about soulmates. It says, Whoever's you're, whoever you're with, love them and love them well to the best of your ability. Sometimes we kind of let ourselves off the hook or we have a pity party. We're like, well, I, I missed it. I, I guess I didn't end up with my soulmate. That is not a scriptural, con- um, scriptural concept. But instead, I want to challenge you this morning. Cherish your wife. Honor her. Value her for the price that was paid for her. Anticipate. Pursue her. Be careful with your words. Number two, seek to understand her. I don't know if you know this, but men and women's brains work very differently. Um, again, early on in our marriage, my wife and I would have these hypotheticals argument of hypotheticals. She would say, well, how would you feel if this happened? And I would say, I, I would be fine. And I wouldn't care at all about this. And that would just drive her crazy. And so then my life would just continue to be very difficult. And so I thought I was getting myself off the hook because I'm like, I've never been in, I've never felt like that. I've never been in that, or I've never been in that situation that you're talking about specifically. I mean, that's never happened to me. But that's not the question that she's actually asking me. What she's actually asking me is like, have you ever felt what I'm feeling? Have you ever felt rejection? And I could say, well, I have felt rejection and it's terrible. And if that's how you're feeling, I don't want you to feel that way. Or have you ever looked, have you ever felt looked over or passed over? You know what, I haven't been in your situation, but I I have felt like that before and I don't want you to feel like that. And I wanna do everything in my power to help alleviate that in your life. But you need to seek to understand your wife. Think back to when you were dating, right? Your mind was consumed with her. And then you got married and you're like, oh, okay, it's done with that now, right? But it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. You spent a whole life seeking to understand your wife in a greater way. Don't stop pursuing it. Be the leader. Be the leader in the relationship. Be the one who pursues the heart. The third is lead. Just lead. There's no room for passivity as a man, right? It's how we got in this trouble in the beginning with Adam passivity you need to fight for your family you need to be the first one into the battle first one into the fire you need to be a man of integrity and character a man of your word a man who leads in that place of prayer oh that your family would catch you praying worshiping Jesus lead there's a mandate on your and a responsibility on your life to lead and you're responsible for the spiritual culture of your home And if it's lacking, it starts with you. And this is not a condemnation on you, but it's these moments that we take, say, I need to take a spiritual inventory. I need to take an inventory of my life, and there's some things here that I want Holy Spirit to change because I need to start leading well. And I need to reject passivity and lead with humility, right, which is a servant leadership. We look again to King Jesus. How did King Jesus lead? Servant leadership. 
He showed us the way. And he led with love. Wives, I want to speak to you for a moment. The first one is this. Be an encourager. Be the biggest source of encouragement in your husband's life. I know we all need encouragement, but specifically I believe that one of the roles of, of, of a godly wife is to encourage her husband. This is a really discouraging world, and men are pretty terrible at encouraging each other. I hate to break that to you. Workplaces are not positive environments usually. So wives, be your husband's greatest encourager. Do you know that the word encourage? You've heard me say this before. The word encourage means to pour courage into. So when you speak encouraging words, you're pouring courage into your husband. That gives that like lifts him to this place of saying, I can, I can do this. This analogy really helped me. Somebody shared this with me years ago. It's like the cork in the bucket analogy. Imagine there's a bucket and there's a cork sitting at the bottom of the, the empty bucket and water begins to go be poured into that bucket. Well, your husband is the cork and the water is encouragement. As water is poured into that bucket, that cork begins to rise. As, in, as you speak life into your husband, he will want to become the man that you think he is. And when I walk into my, my house, you know, my wife has set such a beautiful culture of encouragement and life-giving speech in our house. She will encourage me in front of our children. And so then my children encourage me and my wife and other people. She's been a, a real leader in this area of being my biggest encourager. I don't have to go to outside sources for encouragement. Sometimes I have to say, let's just tone it back a little bit. Just kidding. Second is this, go to battle in prayer for your husband. I can tell you in my 15 some odd years of ministry that I have seen, I've spent a lot of times with broken wives that have said, very, with, who are very concerned for their husband for his spiritual life, walk, for his uh, whatever it is. And I don't know why God made us this way, but there's something within women they have this ability to believe God for the impossible. There's a sensitivity to God and, the, and, and to the things of the Spirit. So a lot of times wives will come to know Jesus before their husbands. But I think there's this mandate on your life to pray. And I'm telling you, the devil hates a praying wife because there's, man, There's power in that place of prayer for a, a wife who goes to battle for her husband, who goes to battle for his soul. Arrange yourself in such a way. Arrange yourself in such a way that you'll go to battle for your husband. And the third is point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. One of the one of the things I've, I've just so valued in my wife is her ability to, just, to be that compass for me. You know, we get disoriented by all of these things, and I, I look at her life, and, I, and the things that she speaks, and she says, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. She's pointing me back to Jesus, pointing me back to Jesus, the simplicity of this gospel. Wives, point your husbands to Jesus. Point your husbands to Jesus. We can all stand across this place.
There's a few things specifically that I want to pray for. For healing, but I want to just take a moment and if you would, we just close your eyes across this place. Whether you're married or not, I want you just to close your eyes and ask the Lord if there's any hidden way in you, if there's any wicked way in you, and lead you in the way of the everlasting. If there's anything, any areas of your life, maybe you don't even have to ask him. You already know what it is. And if you're married, ask specifically about your marriage. Maybe you're not very careful with your words. Maybe you talk harshly about your husband when he's not around with your friends. Husbands, maybe you speak very harshly to your wives. Maybe you feel like the fire has just gone out in your marriage. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I I do want to pray for you this morning. So just receive this blessing as I pray. God, I pray you just bless these marriages in Jesus' name. Bless these marriages in Jesus' name. I just see the Lord taking out a wedge right now. He's removing the wedge. And he's repairing the relationship. Lord, repair and restore. And don't just restore back to a place that something once was, but to a new place that's greater and beautiful. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray against any attack of the enemy on these marriages. And I pray you just rekindle a deep love and a passion in these marriages, in Jesus' name. Such a strength of unity. And unity doesn't always mean agreement. But we pray that there's such a devotion and allegiance to one another. It says, doesn't matter what happens in this world. There's nothing that's going to come between. And so, Lord, we just pray for that, that supernatural protection. And allow them to love each other like you love Jesus. Love each other like you love Jesus. Repair years of hurt and free right now in Jesus' name. Anytime we gather in a room like this, there's always a good chance that somebody here needs to get their life right with the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment. It's not to embarrass you or call you out or make you do anything weird, but I want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you need to get your life right with Jesus, or maybe you had a relationship with him, but it's grown cold and stagnant, and you need to get your life right with, with him. You want to give your life to Jesus. Would you just put a hand up? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. appreciate your honesty. You can put your hands down. If you pray, or if you need to give your heart to Jesus, just I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to say a prayer like this in your own heart. Lord, today I give you my life. I give you it all every single part, the good parts and the bad parts, and everywhere in between. I just give it all to you right now in Jesus' mighty name. And I thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers every single sin and washes me and sets me free. So I just receive that gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you come and fill me. Come and fill me to overflowing. Give me the grace continue onward and upward, not ever looking back in Jesus' name. 
in Jesus' name. And we turn, God, right now. We repent and we turn from the things that are not pleasing that we're running after, the things that are not pleasing to you. And now we run to you, King Jesus. Now my life, the goal of my life is to to follow you and know you more in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Congratulations. It's the first day of your life. Would you just welcome our friends into the family? Amen. If you gave your heart to Jesus, I want to encourage you to tell somebody um, that you came with or I would love to talk with you. A couple of things, and I know we got to close. I felt this morning as I was praying that I kept hearing the word incurable, and I feel like there's grace this morning for God to heal those in this place with incurable diseases. And so if that's you, would you just put a hand up? If you have some sort of incurable disease, the doctor's spoken that. God bless them. If you would, I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I'm not going to scream or spit on you. But would you just come forward? I believe that is an act of faith. And we're just going to come over here. Would you just come forward? I saw your hands already, so you guys can come. Just come on over here. And our prayer teams and staff are going to come. And they're going to pray for you. Awesome. Let's pray. Church, would you just be an intercede for, for our friends? Just be able to lift your voice. Intercede, intercede just means to pray. Would you just begin to pray for them? Lord Jesus, right now, we just pray for complete healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Any and all incurable diseases would be gone right now in Jesus' name. Any spirit of infirmity, God, would just be cast off right now in the name of Jesus any autoimmune disorders, God, spinal disorders, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, God, I pray it would just go right now in Jesus' mighty name, in the mighty name of Jesus, bring complete healing and restoration in Jesus' name. Just keep praying. This morning, I also felt like there was somebody here that the word I I kept hearing was, was about captive to sexual immorality. And so I, I, um, I didn't mean, it doesn't mean you're struggling or you're feeling tempted, but you feel trapped. And what I saw this week was like someone that felt like that this moment of panic of like, I can't get out of this. I can't get out of this. So I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, um, but I do wanna pray for you. And what I believe is gonna happen is God's gonna actually give you the grace to overcome, but he's also gonna give you the grace to confess to someone in your life that can help you overcome it. Does that make sense? So just agree with me as I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for whoever it is in this room. God, that's captive. I pray right now, Lord, you just loose that grip, and as they loose, you loosen that grip, they'll just run in Jesus' mighty name. Set free. Set free from all the bondage, all the mental confusion all the anxiety it creates. I pray you just set them free right now in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.